Cause I'm coming for them belts, boy. You're gonna see the raft of the new champ. Different energy, different spirit. Coming to win. I tried to learn boxing, stick and move. Isolating the sweet science of the sport, doctrinating my style. But we're going back to the raw, rugged streets. That's where I belong. I never followed no athletes growing up, no movie stars. I followed the hustlers, the Rayful Edmonds, the Jeff Ports, the Nicky Barnes, the Big Meaches, the Larry Hoovers. You understand me? They're the people that gave me that inspiration, the ones that came up from the streets to the top of the world, the empire, the bangers, the hustlers. That's what's fueled me again. Sometimes in life, no matter how far you go, always remember where you came from. And I put it like this analogy. It's like building a phenomenal skyscraper. And after 10 years, you will go back and do your renovations and reverbs. Look at the, the nooks and the cracks in the building, and that's what I'm about to do. We built a phenomenal empire, but it's time to go back to what motivated me. I can't wait to get back in that ring and give it my all. I've done the boxing sweet sides. It's not a waste of time, but I've got to throw it in the mix. It's not one or the other. It's all or nothing. And welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where where Eddie Hearn refuses to mention us by name and he thinks he's funny by making up all sorts of crazy names. Edward Hearn, just admit you listen to us. All of us. Me, Porky, Boxing Asylum, Fight Disciples. Whoever, right? Now let me shout out Harley Marshall as well. Let me not forget him. You listen to us all. And the reason you do that is, you are a forum junkie. And I know this because you admitted this way back when you were managing Audley. You are like, yeah, I'm all over the forums under a fake name. That's okay. We know who you are. So we know you listen because you're a, you're a boxing geek. You wouldn't do what you do in the sport if you weren't. And it's okay to shout us out. And it's okay to give us the oxygen of publicity. It's okay to give us a bit of a name. It's the right thing to do. Because it helps make you bigger too. But the longer you deny that you listen to this stuff, the bigger the following grows. And the bigger the following grows, the more people realize you're conning them because you came up this way. You came up with the hardcores. Never forget that. But I didn't come there, I didn't, I didn't show up today to discuss that. You know why I'm here. You saw the picture, you saw the headline. We're going to call this one, we're going to call this World Femi Day today. This is World Femi Day. Not for the feminists, not for, any, not, not for anything else, not even for the felines. This is for the, the femiists. You know the guys out there that have the Joshua collection from Hugo Boss? You know the guys out there that drink the Aid with his face on it? It's for those guys. And the reason I want to talk about Joshua is... I'm just intrigued as to where he is now, spiritually. So AJ does the interview with Coogan. It's a really good interview, by the way. Salute to Coogan. I think if I were to rank the greatest IFL interviews in order, the Tyson Fury one from late 2017, where he hinted at the phone calls he's had with Joshua, is number one. I thought Coogan was brilliant in that one. He was compassionate, engaging. He was... Really good in that one. Then second, 
is obviously the Denzel Bentley interview at the Royal Albert Hall in 2019. If you haven't seen that one, that might be the best IFL interview of all time. And I don't think Coogan had anything to do with that. The star power on that interview has never been bettered by IFL, that's a fact. And then, what's, what would I class as third? Probably this one with Anthony Joshua. And then fourth, one of the ones with Dave Allen. I can't remember which one it was. They're the ones where, like, Coogan's at his best. The Prince Patel one, <laughs> I've got to put in for comedic value, but that's about it. But let's just come back to AJ. The first part of the interview, and he skirts around this, so I thought, let me add some flesh to what I know. He hinted that the camp had been a disaster. Now, he didn't say that, but I know the camp had been an absolute disaster. Not from a doing stuff perspective, but just from a lack of focus. There was no agreement on how you beat Usyk. This was the problem. So when they say what was the strategy, the truth was there were so many conflicting approaches. Now, here's how you sift through the nonsense, right? Because we already know how McCracken wants Joshua to fight Southpaws. We saw it with Charles Martin. It's really basic. Just be dominant on your lead hand side and shoot the backhand down and follow that up with the left up. Yeah? Joshua 101. McCracken isn't one for complicated ideas and approaches. It's really simple with McCracken. Do the basics. Do them consistently for 12 rounds and no one will be able to hang with you, right? We saw it with Frotcher, we've seen it with everyone else. So why didn't he do that in this fight? And the reason he didn't do that in this fight is there were other voices in his ear. So you, from what I heard in the camp, you had Joby Clayton wanting Joshua to box like a Cuban. You know, faint, pull back, shoot back. You know, all this sort of like Teofimo Stevenson kind of stuff. Really? All that kind of Eris Landy Savon stuff. You know, the stuff that Savon did to Joshua in 2012. A lot of that stuff. Now, we can ask the obvious question. How on earth did Joshua fall for that kind of snake oil trick? Like, yeah, you could really do this. You've never done it in your life before. But you're going to do it because of me. I've given you all the words of affirmation. I've put all the messages up on the wall. All you have to do now is Dream it, believe it, become it. Ooh. So you had that. And then apparently you had Angel. And Angel was just like, I'm not in this conflict. You guys tell me what to do and I'll do it. Right? Which is the right thing to do. Because Angel understands the assignment. So you got three people in camp. McCracken's looking at these other two going, who the hell are these guys? How have you guys come up from Instagram into one of the best heavyweight camps on the planet. I've been in this sport since I was God knows how old. I've fought for world titles, man. I've trained world champions. I've been around some of the best talents this country's produced. I've been around some of the best coaches this country's produced. Who the hell are you jokers? You came over here from Wolverhampton, what? Because you produced... Ben Whittaker? Okay. Ben Whittaker's not Anthony Joshua. You, over here, 
You're just on Instagram training Sandy Ryan. You're over here training Isaac Chamberlain. Now you're training Richard Reactport. That qualifies you to be in this camp with me? And that's what McCracken's thinking. And now McCracken's like, this isn't serious. And he feels a bit demoralized from what I heard. McCracken's like, what? You know, you know when you just feel like I'm wasting my time here because he has no allies. That's McCracken's problem. McCracken's there because Joshua wants him there. No one else is backing him. Not Eddie, not Sir Skins, not KD, not Benger. No one else is backing McCracken. They think he's a dinosaur. But Joshua's like, no, no, no. This guy got me this far. I trust him. Right? So McCracken's like, I don't get this. I'm the, I'm the main guy here. Here's what we need to be doing. And he's being challenged by Joby and he. Angel's calling this, by the way. Like, Angel's not culpable for any of the kind of political shenanigans here. It's about, you know, these conflicting personalities, right? This is what happens at top-level boxing when it's just egos. And that's the energy that permeated the camp. McCracken's like, this is, this is nonsense. Joshua's like, I want to box the way Joby's telling me I can box. And Rob's like, that's not you. And Josh is like, I can do anything I put my mind to. And Rob's like, you're 32. You're 32 trying to box a different way against a guy that's been boxing the same way for 15 years minimum. Right, okay, let's do it your way. I'm still going to get paid anyway. And I'll get paid on the rematch. So the camp's not amazing. You get the right people in, you get your... Your Dempsey's, your Dempsey McKean's and so forth. You get all of those guys in and it's cool. But you ain't making it stick. It's not looking amazing. And from what I hear, Dempsey McKean's not elite. He's a big guy, strong guy, but he's not elite. And Dempsey's finding, I mean, openings and stuff. And it's, not, it's just not looking good. But the cheerleaders, the camp manager, team... AJ, my cheerleading. Mate, you're looking good. You're going to destroy this guy. He's not built for what you're about. And then we know what happened on fight night. So when Joshua's there saying, I'm holding my team to account, what did he really mean? Because all this mess should have been sorted out a long time ago, but the problem was they wanted McCracken gone after Ruiz. Okay, cool. Who are you going to get in? Why didn't they look at the Americans then? You know, how... Who do you have around you that the best options you could find... And I'm not saying that they're bad trainers. No, they're just not experienced. But the best trainers you could find were Angel Fernandez and Joby Clayton to come back. You didn't look at Ronnie Shields then? You didn't talk to Virgil Hunter then? You didn't pick a young up-and-coming trainer like a, like a Don Smith? You didn't pick a young up-and-coming trainer like a Ben Davison? Did you not go and talk to Shane? But they won the rematch, so it validated the approach. It was wrong, but, you know, wins mask everything. Same again with Pulev. Oh, 
Art changes worked because Joshua beat two guys he was supposed to beat anyway. Cool. Yay us. Pat me on the back. But then you got to fight a real fighter. Someone who knows what they're doing. Someone who can make adjustments in every minute of every round. And it all falls apart again. And they want to blame McCracken. It was McCracken's fault. And Rob's like, no, I let you guys bring your people in. What did your people add? What did they add? The Joshua I'd have trained would have won that fight. It's McCracken's view. So you've got this camp that's in utter chaos. And what it needs is that guy at the top, the guy who's really accountable at the end of this, to say, this is nonsense. Fix it. And so he doesn't. Buries his head in the sand. So who did he hold accountable? Because that whole team around him, there's no real boxing knowledge there. They're just his mates. People he wants to be loyal to. Joshua wants to be like LeBron James and say, look at all of these people I help make millionaires. It's not just about me. It's all about that unity. You know, that sort of nonsense. But he's mortgaged his career on that. And right now, man, he's in massive negative equity because that brain's trust won't fix the problems that are there. Going to America isn't going to fix those problems. So, so at that point there, I already knew he was deluded. You know? I knew he was deluded. And a bit of delusion is nice for, for a boxer because you're getting punched in the head for a living. It doesn't make much sense not to be deluded. But it was... <laughs> I laughed my head off because I was like, how is this guy thinking like this? I'm trying to think of a really, a really good example of the delusion. It's, it's he's about 20, 20 minutes in into this interview with Coogan and he's talking about he thought he could slip shots and roll shots against Usyk? Why? I think most people who understand boxing know that the, the key to being able to slip and roll shots isn't really about whether you can slip and roll. It's about whether you can time it, right? And whether you can plan your exit so you don't just pop up straight into a counter shot. Because someone like Usyk will time that movement and at some point he's going to catch you. So what's the point in gambling? Really, what's the point in gambling? So it seemed muddied and confused when I looked at it. And... If you're AJ, you suddenly realize for the last seven or eight years, the people you've had around you aren't good enough. Maybe you knew that before, but you deluded yourself. But the truth is the people around you are not good enough. Your team's not good enough when you benchmark it against Dillian. Let me give you an example of how weak, just how weak, Whatever his role is, uh, KD, head of operations, head of this, head of that. Let's give you an example of how weak it is, right? How many of those Joshua sparring partners has AJ put on? How many of his sparring partners have ended up on a Joshua undercard? Now look at Dillian. Alan Babbage looks good. Get on my undercard. Thomas Carty looks good. Get on my undercard. Yeah, looked after his friends. Pester, known you since the Miguel days. Get on the undercard. Congo, 
get on the undercard. And at all points, Dillian's overall level of performance has gone up. Got rid of Mark Tibbs, got Xavier in. Clearly likes and respects Xavier, but says we need more experience in the camp. Xavier agrees, they get more experience in. That's how you run a camp. Now what was the missing piece? The missing piece was, we need, we need to be away from all the distractions. We need to be away from London. We need to be away from what we know and come here where all we have is boxing. And let's not forget, sorry, Yusuf Kamari. Let me show some love to him. You know, that's Xavier's guy. And he's like, yo, come into camp. Did he like what he saw? You could be on the undercard too. Where's Joshua's legacy of putting people on? You know, people we didn't know, people he should be putting on. Who's he putting on? Where's Timothy Moton? Remember that was their, their scouting masterclass. I found a part-time carpet fitter called Timothy Moton, a short, fat guy, and said, oh, he could be Andy Ruiz. <laughs> okay, wow. You know, well done you. And this is why McCracken looks at these guys and sees them as a bunch of jokers. Because they are. Like, if they were any good, why are they doing nothing with GB? Because they're not that good. So the Joshua camp's rotten to the core. There's infighting, there's disagreements. That's why stuff's leaking out now that didn't used to leak out before. Because Team McCracken, whoever they are, are trying to highlight the clowns. And the people McCracken thinks are clowns are trying to highlight how much of a dinosaur McCracken is. But here's the truth. Their whole thing was predicated on this idea that Tyson Fury was feather-fisted. Was feather-fisted, could not come back as good as he was when he fought Vladimir. That's why they were so bullish about fighting Tyson Fury at various points. And that's why that noise has gone down significantly. Because twice Fury's laid waste to Deontay Wilder and he's done it in two vastly different ways. He schooled him in one fight and then just outmanned him in the other fight. So what's that brain's trust that surrounds Joshua going to do now? His, his boxing advisors. On a side note, has anyone ever noticed that when Joshua's in boxing mode, everyone around him is black? When Joshua's in business mode, no one around him is black. Yeah. We remember the speech in Watford. People criticized AJ. Oh, you're saying don't spend money with white people. Well, he is. They're, 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 taking, they're taking their pound of flesh over here on the commercial side. But on this lower value boxing side where there isn't that much money, they ain't getting nothing. And they're all there, man, hoping that association with Joshua opens up other doors for them and Joshua's carrying these guys and I, I said all of that just to say a very simple thing actually the boxing side with Joshua is an absolute mess at the moment so when I heard that his camp is going to be based in America I was like you can't take the same people with you and expect a different outcome they got you in this mess and you refuse to find people that would get you out of this mess. And now you're too old to get out of this mess. Whether you go to Ronnie Shields, whether you go to Virgil Hunter, doesn't matter. 
They're not going to give you the thing you've never had. And that's that inner pit bull. That thing that says I may not be as big as these guys. But I've got the heart of a lion. That's what, that's what he will never have. I don't think he could have recovered the way Fury did against Wilder. I don't think he could. I don't think he could have recovered the way Wilder did against Fury. I don't think he could recover the way Dillian did against Parker or against Rivas. That thing isn't in him. We didn't see it in the Usyk fight. You know that thing where you know it's going wrong and you just bang your gloves together and say, wake up, do what you know is best. He didn't have that in him to revert back to just being a fighter. You're not going to learn that between now and March. You're not going to learn that with Ronnie Shields. You're not going to learn that with Eddie Reynoso. Because they work with people who already have that. They selected that quality in them. You don't manufacture it. And he's also paid a heavy price for not engaging in the media in this way before. Because it all feels a bit desperate now, doesn't it? Joshua never gave these kinds of interviews. Then he tried to explain by saying he was too busy. But he had time to be larking around on this island and in Jamaica acting the fool and doing all of this. He's always had time. He just never had the respect for the fans to do this. And now he's coming up with the tough guy talk of, oh, I'm tired of losing. Mate, your losing's not over. Your losing is not over. I think it's only just beginning. Because if you look at it, he's got to fight Usyk, right? Even if he beats Usyk, then we're talking about a unification with Fury or maybe Dillian. Don't know, maybe even Wilder. I know it sounds crazy. But we're talking about unification. After that, there are no soft fights. That's when Joker comes on stream, Joyce comes on stream, Hergovic comes on stream. Guys his size that can box better than he can. There are probably three or four defeats just there waiting for him. Never mind any potential banana skins with Chisora or Michael Hunter or those sorts of guys. Or Ruiz number three, potential banana skin. Frank Sanchez, potential banana skin. There are all of these things where you look and you go... If Joshua has eight fights against the eight most deserving people, he might lose four or five of those. There's no filler in this division anymore. And he created that because he made it possible to make so much money. So when he says, ah, you know, I never felt the need to talk like this, he should have always been talking like this. The one thing I'll give him credit for, at least he finally said, Eddie doesn't speak for me. You know, that made me happy. But those, those guys are in bed together now for the rest of his career. So he'll never, be, he'll never be one of us. He'll never be for the fans or of the fans. That's just not who he wants to be. And it's why I think people will accept him getting beaten by Gaza Fury now. Because Joshua's failed to give us what we want. One memorable night. One. Against Vladimir. An old Vladimir. As Porky Russ would say... 18 months sat on the settee. Then the things we remember about him, losing to Ruiz, losing to Usyk. 
You're not great when that's what we remember about you. You're just not great. And I think that's where you're at with Joshua right now is here's a guy who's lost and he's confused and what he needs is someone to give him direction. This is when you need a mentor. Someone who says, here's your way forward. In, in the ring and out the ring, here's your way forward. For a start, stop, stop hanging around shopping precincts in Watford. One of the things I didn't like in that interview was when he was talking about Wilder and Joshua's first response was, I'd have, I'd have iced half the, half, half the motherfuckers that Wilder iced, right? That's what he said, I'd have iced half of them. And I was like, but Deontay Wilder iced all of them. By definition, he iced all of them. So when you say you'd have iced half of them, either you're not that good or you're kind of stupid, right? But it's semantics. But to disrespect Wilder, a guy who's knocked out all of his opponents, not called Tyson Fury, but even then dropped him in two fights out of three. Have some respect for the man. Do you see what I mean? It's all of this sort of stuff. The way he disrespected Aaron was kind of funny. And I get, I, to be honest, I get where, that, get where that comes from. But you're not doing yourself any favors. So as I'm listening to this interview, I don't really understand what it's meant to do. Because on one hand, it starts off with him going, I never wanted to talk to the fans in the first place, but I'm forced to do it now. Then it goes into, my camp was an absolute mess. Then it goes into... Based on that, I went to America and I learned a lot of stuff, but I can't remember what I really learned, so I can't share it with you. Then into, well, actually, Tyson Fury is really good and what he did there was miraculous. Deep down, I don't know if I could have done that. Then into F. Bob Arum. Then he comes out swinging. Then it's like tough guy Femi again. And you're like, which, which, one, which one are we getting behind? Because for a long time, I thought we were going to get angry Femi. I thought we were going to get angry Anthony Joshua. That's what I thought we were getting. I thought we were getting, you know, the guy that, the guy that got the community order, the guy that got the unpaid work, 100 hours unpaid work, the guy that was driving the Mercedes with the nine bar in the back. That's what I thought we were going to get eventually. And he seemed scared to let that person out. And maybe that's the source of his problems in the ring. And there are struggles in the ring. Because when's the last time Joshua laid someone to waste? Serious question. When is the last time Joshua one-punched someone and just had them out where they couldn't beat the count? We know Wilder's done it. We know Fury's done it. Damn, even Povetkin's done it. Dillian's done it. Derek's done it. Who is AJ one-punched? So when people talk about this guy being this destroyer, I'm like, he's never one-punched anyone who's world-ranked. He hasn't. Chisora did with Takam. Takam was world-ranked. Dillian did it with Derek. Derek was world-ranked. Wilder's done it in world championship fights against people who are world-ranked. Fury's done it in championship fights. When has Joshua done it when the chips are on the line? He hasn't. So this myth about Joshua being the hardest hit, it's not true. Do you see? It's not true. 
So in some ways you end up feeling sorry for this guy. Because these years of delusion and people telling him how he should be and this, that and the third and actually having no guiding light because it doesn't look like he's had a guiding light in terms of how to actually be a man. And because of that, you see that in the ring, it's tentative, it's confused. He never really goes for his shots. He's not prepared to put it all on the line. And he hasn't been since Vladimir. Maybe, maybe, and this is me being a bit new age, maybe he gave all of his spirit to that Klitschko win. And after that, he was never the same guy. Maybe. But this version of Joshua... I don't think any heavyweight's scared of him. I think they're all looking forward to the payday and taking whatever he's got off him. And it's all of these things. Trusting the wrong people with your career. Doing the wrong things. Hanging around in Watford believing that makes you a man of the people. But you've got bodyguards around you. So you're not really a man of the people. It's that sort of playing with fire thing that nearly got you robbed on the Aylesbury estate but definitely got you robbed in Battersea. All of these things point to a guy that doesn't know what the hell he's doing or what he should be doing. You know, it's one of these really weird things. One of the traps you can fall into when you come up from certain backgrounds is you feel that you always have to represent that background, but the truth is you've got to grow past whatever it is you started from. That's the whole point of life. Life is a journey. If you, if you end up back where you started, there's something seriously wrong with you. The worst thing you can do is pretend to be a man of the people while living in a mansion. That's the hypocrisy I don't really get. And that's why the kids took his watch. You know, And when people say, yeah, but he got another one. Nah, they didn't give him another one. Because the Audemars deal was with Klitschko, not with Joshua. The watches were for Klitschko, but Joshua was part of that fight. So, for example... Had that Wembley fight been Joshua versus Deontay, there would have been no Audemars watches. Had it been Vladimir versus Deontay, they would have been. You know, just so people are clear about that. But it's, I, I get frustrated because there are bits to like about Joshua and that, that interview highlighted it. I, I love the fact that he only ever wanted to take the rematch. And one thing you've always got to say about him is he doesn't strike you as a guy that will walk away from a fight. Even though what I said earlier was he won't bite down. When it gets tough, he won't bite down. But he'll show up, right? And credit where credit's due, he will show up. I don't know. I don't know, man. I, 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 and I've said that's probably the first time I've said that. My issue ultimately remains this. We were sold an Olympic gold medalist who was going to take over the world and become undisputed. It fell apart at the first test, which was Andy Ruiz, another guy who wanted to be world champion. It then came back on track and it fell apart again against Usyk, who wanted to be undisputed. So whenever Joshua comes up against people who want the same thing he does, why does it seem that they want it more than he does? They all have far smaller operations. They don't have that 30-person team around them. It's just coaches and sparring partners and maybe a couple of advisors. That's it, the way boxing's meant to be. The experiment's going south, isn't it, with Joshua? 
And I think that's what he's worried about. And so when you see an interview like he did with Coogan, what you're seeing there is a guy trying to protect his brand value. Because another defeat, and you're like, this guy was never all that to begin with. Because go back to the Chisora versus Usyk fight. Derek wasn't letting Usyk get away with anything. And it was only when Derek started to get tired that Usyk started to have his way with him. And just so you're clear, remember this. Remember the thing about Usyk is he doesn't do anything complicated. Because if we break down Alexander Usyk, how does Usyk beat you? Usyk beats you with a good sense of timing, a really, really good sense of ring positioning. Not an amazing defense. Usyk gets hit a lot, but he's clearly a tough man and he can take those punches to give his and he'll throw more than you throw. So he grinds you down with pace. He grinds you down with ring positioning and he grinds you down with that sense of timing and being able to counter. And he knows when to go on the attack. He doesn't waste energy trying to get you out of there early. He softens you up. If I know this, and you know this, you're telling me that 30-man entourage in Joshua's team don't know this. Think about, think about how far Joshua's fallen down the pecking order. No one's even saying Joshua's on steroids anymore. And I'm not saying he is or he isn't. What I'm saying is, remember when he was wiping everyone out and people were like, it's just, the, it's just the steroids doing that. Do you remember when people were like, this guy's on steroids? He's fallen that far down the ladder in people's eyes. They ain't even talking about Joshua on steroids anymore because they're like, well, they ain't even helping him. God help him if he wasn't on them. That's, that, that should tell you how far this guy's fallen down. And when I look at that interview he gave, it didn't project any strength to me. It was just a guy doing an interview that he knew would reach half a million people. He knew it would go viral. He knew it would just get some attention and it would give him a chance to kind of spin the story in his favor. But by the end of that interview, the reality is nothing has changed. One, it's too little too late trying to engage the fans and tell the fans what you want. Because you said you want to talk to the fans. And I remember further on in the interview, you said, this is why I don't talk to the fans. Because people said he shouldn't take the rematch. You know, this is not, it's not an invalid point to make. Secondly, we admit that the, the team's a mess. And what he clearly showed is he doesn't know how to resolve this mess. So he's going to leave it up to the people who created the mess to try and resolve it. Bizarre. Then he goes on to talk about all sorts of stuff we don't really care about, about what he needs to do in the fight. He's shown that he's got no tactical now of his own. Then he talks about going into America and saying, this is how I'm going to get better. Really? And then just a trash talking about Bob Arum, Tyson. But none of that came from a position of strength. Because no heads have rolled. There's been no decisive action. We found out subsequent to that interview that Josh is going to have his next training camp in the United States. Okay, but here's my question. Who are you going to spar? You're going to take all the Southpaw sparring partners out there with you. But now you've got a problem. Guys like Thomas Carty and Dempsey McKean, they all have fights coming up. So they, can they dedicate the time to be in camp with you? So what are you going to do this time? Not much of this has been thought through. That's all I'll say on this. Not much has been thought through because 
There aren't thousands of high-level Southpaw heavyweights in the States. You might get Lenroy Thompson. That's not going to replicate that, that Eastern European style. You know, are you going to get Erislandi Savon? I don't think you are. So what do you do? So it comes back to the point I made earlier. The people he said he's holding accountable are the same people he's going to get to try and make this right, but they're the people who are actually going to make it worse. He might be better off just getting rid of everyone and having McCrack in there. Go back to how it started. He doesn't need anything else. I, I, I genuinely think we're on the downslope with Anthony Joshua now. There are going to be more defeats than there are going to be wins. If he's true to his word that he'll take the hardest fights going, there'll be more defeats than there'll be wins. And we will look back on that April day in 2017 as a high point of his career. And everything else has been a disappointment since. He's no Vladimir Klitschko. He's no Lennox Lewis. And he's definitely no Muhammad Ali. I, I'm a thousand percent confident that a peak Frank Bruno beats a peak Anthony Joshua by stoppage. That's, that's his level. And for all the Joshua fans and the Team AJ guys, I'm not going to get into the debate. That's his level. He's Gary Mason in a really weak heavyweight division right now. That's what he is for me. And that's no bad place to be, but you don't get to eat at the top table. That's just how it is. And on that note, I'll sign up, guys, and say take care.